Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. You know, the angels have the second coolest job of all. They got to announce the Lord's birth, and they also were able and allowed to announce the resurrection. Matthew 28, 6. What does the angel tell those that are gathered there at the tomb? He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. That's almost the coolest job to have. The coolest job to have is the one that God has given us, the redeemed, to share the gospel of the grace of God with a lost and dying world. The, the angels announced his birth, they announced his resurrection, and we get a chance to continue sharing that glorious truth. And I hope and pray this morning that you take that admonition seriously. That it's our job, it's our responsibility to share the gospel. To tell people that Christ died for them, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And we just get to keep telling it over and over and over again until the Lord comes. And may we be faithful to that end. As I was traveling home Wednesday night from church, I have a confession. I really wasn't sure on Wednesday night what I was going to preach today. And as I was traveling home, I kept seeing all these lights on these houses all the way down to the house. And it dawned on me, it's almost Christmas time. I'm not ready for Christmas. You know, most years you kind of start getting in the mood and you start getting ready. You would have thought that the fact that we've been practicing the Christmas cantatas in September, that that would be something you'd be ready for. But on the way home Wednesday night, I saw all these houses, they're on Highway 100, all decked out in lights, and I went, oh, it's almost Christmas. And so I got to, to praying and thinking about the different Christmas messages that we have shared over the years. And I last preached, well, not last preached, I preached this sermon that I'm going to preach this morning the first time in 2014. And I preached it again last year. And you go, what? But it is so fascinating, and it is so wonderful, it is so glorious, and it actually points to the absolute accuracy of God's Word that you have to embrace this truth and realize that God loves us so much that He did not want to leave us in doubt as to whether or not those events that took place with the birth of Christ didn't happen because they did. He didn't want to leave us in any doubt. He gave us His Word that verifies not only where was our Lord born, when He was born, why He was born, and how he was born. 
So over the next several weeks, we're going to look at that series of sermons again. Today we're going to look at where he was born. Because i got to tell you, this is one of the most exciting messages to me as we contemplate Christ Jesus being God's perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb of God. And where he was born points that out. Next week we're going to talk about when he was born. And the scripture tells us that. So we're not wondering where he, when he was born. Uh, scriptures are plain. But you've got to wait till next week. You've got to come back in order to find out when. But it's going to be worth you coming back to find out when he was born. I'll tell you this. It wasn't December the 25th, but something wonderful did happen on December the 25th. But since the rest of the world celebrates his birth at this time of the year, we would be foolish not to celebrate his birth and declare his birth. Because the angels did. They celebrated his birth. They announced his birth. They were excited about it. And so, folks, we need to get excited about it also and share with the world that just for a moment, just for a glimmer of time, the world seems to open up and they seem to be interested in this God that we love and that we serve. And so that's what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks. Turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Luke chapter 1, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And to prove the point that the world seems to be interested, Faye and I, uh, we had dinner with friends last night. A whole, a whole group of friends got together and uh, had deer chili and all. It was just a fun time. But a guy that Faye and I have been praying for for a long time, that he would come to know Christ. Uh, during this, and because of this Christmas event, because we got together, he came over to me and wanted to talk about the truth of God's Word. See, and, and we need to be ready to take advantage of that. We need to be ready when somebody asks, we need to be ready to share with them. And he, he came, he asked, and... We talked about it for quite some time. And you know what I find is interesting? As he and I stood there and as we were talking about it, and I actually shared with him a little bit about what we're going to talk about tonight, I mean this morning, because it really shows the truth of God, God's Word, the accuracy of God's Word. But as he and I were talking, I noticed that uh, several other people in the room were, you know, they kept getting a little closer and a little closer, and, and, and they would get a little, little closer. So... We want to take advantage of that. So we want to celebrate at the same time. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed or recorded with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. 
And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that, that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign. This shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. What a declaration. What an announcement. Why do shepherds? There was no room for Christ at the end. These shepherds are being given a sign, a sign that's kind of peculiar. You're, this is going to be a sign to you. You're going to find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Folks, that's significant as we take a look at exactly where Christ was born and the typology and what it appoints to as we celebrate the birth of Christ. Now, we know what the traditional teaching is, right? That there was no room at the end, and the innkeeper said, I'm so sorry, there's, I don't have any room. I mean, everybody's in town because they have to register, they've got to be recorded, you know, this thing from Caesar Augustus. I mean, we've, so we're out of, there's, there's no room. We have no place for you to stay. Oh, but I have a stable in the back, and if that's okay, you, know, you can stay back there with the, with the cows and the camels and the sheep, and, and anything else is back there. And so Joseph, knowing that it, she's great with child, it's her time to be delivered, says, I'll take it, I'll take it. Um, that's the traditional view. That's the traditional teaching. But you do understand that that has absolutely no scriptural background or support. It does say that there was no room in the inn. So he didn't stay in the inn. And you can't, bring, you can't blame a future dad for wanting to, to, to go to the inn first and saying, hey, my, my wife's about to have a baby and I, I, I can't have her on the street. Uh, so him going to the inn would be the first thing he would think of. And I've heard so many sermons about how sad it was that there was no room at the end. And there was no room at the end. Will you have room in your heart? How many people have heard sermons you know, like that? I've heard a lot of them. But I've got to tell you, it's a good thing that there was no room at the end. The fact that there was no room at the end is all because of God's sovereignty and God's ordained plan and purpose 
and what actually happens. I mean, if there's no room at the inn, so he goes to the stables. That's a sweet story, and, and it's, it's promoted and it's taught. I even think our manger scene that we'll be putting up has a camel and a cow and, and a whole bunch of different stuff uh, that goes along with it. And I haven't broken one of those yet. Uh, you, you do realize that, the, that we, we're on our third uh, manger scene. And I've broken two of them. And I am no longer allowed to put them out or to put them up. So when you know that that's out there, you can thank the deaconesses for that. But even ours is not, I don't think, scriptural. But I'm going to tell you what is scriptural. And that's a sweet story. But it can't hold a candle to what God ordained to happen where Christ was born as the sinless, perfect, spotless Lamb of God wrapped in swaddling cloths. There's a reason for that. Now, God's Word tells us five things about the birth of Christ. Five things. Number one, it tells us how, that he's born of a virgin. That's miraculous. Tells us he was to be born of a virgin. It tells us when, in the fullness of time, when the, when the conditions were right, when the time was perfect, Christ Jesus was born. As a matter of fact, God's word is so specific, they should not have missed it. You go way back into the Old Testament, and it's going to give indications when he was going to be born in the fullness of time, when the conditions were right, when everything was right, he came into the world. So the scripture tells us he was to be born of a virgin. He when he was to be born in the fullness of times, and next week we're going to look at that in even more detail. It tells us why, and we're going to be looking at that, the last sermon, and why he came is because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoso believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's, that's the main sermon we're going to get to, is why Christ came. It's because God loves you, and he understands that you have a need. And that need is salvation. And what God demanded, that blood sacrifice, God became. What an amazing God we serve. So the Bible teaches us he's to be born of a virgin. The Bible teaches us when he was to be born. It teaches us why. And it also teaches us where he was to be born. The city itself. God's word tells us that he's to be born in Bethlehem. And you say, Pastor, tell us something that we don't already know. Everybody, why we sing songs about, oh, little town of Bethlehem. We've been singing that song. Everybody knows it's Bethlehem. Well, let me tell you something. Not only in Bethlehem, but where in Bethlehem God's word tells us and it's this where it's this specific this special place specific you know it's where he is going to be born 
And actually six things. They used to be born in a manger. Not in a crib, not in a, not in a bed, but in a manger. God himself being born in a manger. Well, what, what's born in mangers? Ah, we're getting ready to find out. Look at Micah. Chapter 5. Look at Micah chapter 5. As we talk about where the Lord Jesus was born. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thy be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. So the truth of the matter is, from Micah, they understood that he, the Messiah, the Son of God, was to be born in Bethlehem. You say, well, maybe they didn't know at that time. Remember when the wise men came to Jerusalem they came to Jerusalem because they had seen a star they these wise men these Jewish men who had been part of the captivity uh, 500 years not them but their lineage these wise men from the east these Jewish wise men had seen a star that star that numbers talks about they understood what that star was proclaiming that Israel's Messiah, Israel's king, had been born, and they came from the east, they followed that star, and when they got to Jerusalem, because that's where they would have thought that a king would have been born and celebrated, they got there looking for him, and they went to Herod, and they asked Herod, do you know where he is? We, we came to worship the newborn king. And Herod went, huh? What? And God's word tells us that it troubled all of Israel. It should have been a delight. It should have been an exciting announcement. It should have been something that gladdened their heart. They came to Jerusalem where the king you would have thought would have been. But Herod had no idea what they were talking about. And so he called uh, the chief priest, and he, he called the, the religious leaders of Israel to him, and he said, uh, now, where is the Messiah to be born again? And they told him. They quoted Micah 5, 2, in Bethlehem. So they knew where he was to be born. And then remember what he did. Herod commanded that all children two years of age and under be slaughtered because he was trying to kill the king, the true king, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. So they, Israel knew. The scriptures declared it. The prophets understood it. The, the, the prophets declared it. These priests, these religious leaders of Israel, they understood it. They went to Herod and they said, he is, he, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And Herod said, got to stamp him out. We can't allow that to happen. Now, the interesting thing about Micah, 
is Micah was prophesying about 500 years or so prior to Christ being born. Micah was in the southern kingdom and he was warning Judah, do not go the way that Israel, the northern kingdom, is going. He was warning them that you don't go down this sinful road, you don't take the same road that they're taking, and he was warning Judah, don't go the way they're going, because Israel was about to go into Assyrian captivity. And he was saying, don't go that way, because the true Messiah is coming. Just hold on. Stay faithful. God is going to honor his promise, and here's where he's going to be born, and so get excited. It was all that prophecy was to make sure they understood that God is not slack concerning his promises, that the Messiah is going to come. Why? Here's where he's going to be born. But that's what Micah 5 2 says. But even more specifically, Micah 4 8 tells us where in Bethlehem he is to be born. Look at Micah 4 verse 8. And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come. Even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Unto thee, Migdal Edar. That is the flock or the tower of the flock. It is where Rachel delivered Benjamin back over in Genesis 35. We were introduced to the Migdal Edar, to the flock tower. And the flock tower was the location where shepherds that had their flocks grazing could watch them and care for them and keep an eye on them. And all the way back in Genesis 35, we are told about this flock tower, this Migdal Eater, and it plays such an important role in Jacob's life. That's where he lost Rachel, his beloved wife. And Rachel names the son Benoni, which means son of sorrow. And Jacob says, no, no, no. We're going to call him Benjamin, son of my right hand. But there in Bethlehem, in Ephratah, there at the flock tower, is where this typology begins. Benjamin, son of, so son of my sorrow. No, no, son of my right hand. He is, he is born. And so you move forward all of these years and that flock tower there around Bethlehem, and there were several fl flock towers. There were several places where the shepherds would watch over their flocks. And when the sheep started having uh, their, uh, their babies, they could keep an eye on them and they could respond if one of the sheep were in having difficulty. There are many flock towers there in the surrounding area of Bethlehem. 
many clock towers. But there's one that had to be within a certain distance of the temple. Because this flock tower, this specific flock tower, was where some specific shepherds who had been trained by priests, and possibly even priests themselves, watched over sheep that were about to give birth to lambs that were destined for sacrifice in the temple. Special lambs, special, uh, special ewes that would give birth to special lambs. And these special lambs were to be spotless. They were to be without blemish. They had to be perfect in order to be the lambs that were brought down to Jerusalem and they were brought into the flock tower and they were cared for. And you know one of the first things that the shepherd would do to these newborn lambs? They would, these special shepherds would wrap these lambs in They would swaddle them in these cloths so they sort of looked like marshmallows, but they couldn't hurt themselves. They couldn't damage themselves. Little lambs, they like to frolic. Little lambs like to be active. But they were destined for the sacrifice. And so these special trained shepherds would take these baby lambs and they would bring them into the flock tower and they would swaddle them with these cloths to keep them from injuring themselves so they could be that spotless lamb. As a matter of fact, if uh, Edersheim, Alfred Edersheim, in, in, in his book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, he goes into detail on this. Uh, I had somebody say, what are your... Uh, uh, asked me not too long ago, uh, what are your references? What's your resource for that? And, and so uh, that's part of it. Alfred Edersheim really goes into detail. Uh, Life and Times of, of Jesus the Messiah, Book 2, Chapter 6, I think somewhere around paragraph 22, starts talking about it. So, and it's, it's, it's marvelous how he illustrates that. But I dug deeper. I dug deeper. And I found out that in the Mishnah, which is part of the Torah, that the rabbis, for generation after generation after, uh, I mean, from generation to generation to generation, had been teaching, and there are quotes where they were teaching that the Messiah, look for the Messiah at the flock tower, at the Migdal Eder. That's where the Messiah is going to be born. That's where the Messiah is going to come forth. It also happens to be the place where the sacrificial lambs are cared for and protected. See, the Word of God wants us to know that we can trust it. And not only does the Word of God wants us to know that we can trust it, 
but it has a story that it desires to unfold so that we can see the truth of it and know that what God proclaimed, what God said was going to happen, happened, and we can trust the Scriptures. In Bethlehem, this special group of shepherds, priestly, a trained by priest, were given the task of watching over the sheep that were giving birth to these lambs, destined for the sacrifice. They were under extreme rabbinical orders in how to care for these sheep in this special place. They could observe the sheep and then bring them in for safe birthing. So when the shepherds are out in the field keeping watch overnight of their sheep, and lo, the angels of the Lord appear and tells them to fear not. Here's going to be a sign to you shepherds. You're going to find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths. What? I've heard people say, well, wrapped in swaddling cloths, is, that's a sign that his mother really loved him. What kind of sign is it that your mother loves you, so she's going to wrap you up. See, that's, that was, that's, it's going to be a sign that you're going to find a mother that loves her baby. That's a sign? No, but if they find a baby that's wrapped in swaddling cloths, which these shepherds knew exactly what that indicated, laying in a manger, or lying in a manger, in a manger, What is that going to indicate to them? That would be a sign. So not only in Bethlehem, but where in Bethlehem, and not only where in Bethlehem in this flock tower, but in this specific manger that's going to indicate to them that the Son of God is indeed born and let's go and worship Him. That was their they're calling. That was what they desired to do. When they heard this, I mean, seeing the angels and hearing them, that was enough to get them up and going. But they understood where they were going. You see, they understood Isaiah 53. Look at Isaiah 53. Start with verse 3. Isaiah 53, starting with verse 3. And he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. And he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, 
and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. By the way, that was the purpose of the lambs that were taken down to the temple to be sacrificed. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. Verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, and hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Verse 12, the last part, And he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. From Isaiah 53, we know that he is to be a lamb taken to the slaughter. Look at John. Chapter 1. Look at John chapter 1. Is it any surprise? John chapter 1 verse 29. When John sees Christ coming, what does he say? The next day John sees Jesus coming unto him, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world over and over and over he was called the lamb of god uh, look at first peter chapter 1 look at verse 18 first peter 1:18 for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Should it surprise us that in order to keep that topology, that typology perfect and resounding with the truth of God's word, that he would 500 plus years prior say, not only is he going to be born here, but he's going to be born in this very spot here, this flock tower where these ceremonial or these lambs destined for the sacrifice, these perfect lambs that are going to be swaddled in order to keep them perfect until they reach the place of sacrifice, God wanting to make sure that we see that type clearly and understand who he is. So he came into his own and his own received him not. And you read all this and you go, what dummies? What idiots? How foolish. It was there for them to see so clearly. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. He was also born as a lamb destined for the slaughter. From the exact place, and as we're going to see next week, 
to the exact time. And it all points to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Savior, our Redeemer, the Son of God. And the question this morning, is He your Savior? Is He your Savior? Has He saved you from your sins? He can. He will. And the message of Christmas is this. That God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And this child in the manger, God's gift is absolute evidence of God's desire to have a relationship with you, for you to know Him, for Him to know you. So is it any wonder this time of the year that we need not to join with all the world's commercial aspects of this time, but stand up and celebrate the birth of Christ Jesus, who is Lord of all, who became God incarnate, God in the flesh, for a specific reason to redeem you to reconcile you to himself so that for all eternity you could be with him. Man, what love. What purpose. Even going to the extent of making sure that it is so wonderfully described. I don't want them to miss it. So where the shepherds gather the sheep destined for the slaughter, for the sacrifice. I am going to be born there. They are going to swaddle me. They are going to wrap me. And by the way, those strips of cloth, they were, talking, they were taken from the priest's garment. As the priest's garments got to a certain stage and they couldn't keep wearing them, those wraps that they wrapped around the sheep, they came off of the priestly garments. I don't know about you, but that just causes me to want to worship the great God of heaven. He probably has other things to do than save me and desire for me to know him. Yet he desires to know me and to save me. That's the kind of God I want to serve. It's the kind of God I want to live for. A God that would portray it in such beauty and, and such wonderment because He didn't want us to miss it. That He is exactly who He says He is. Let's pray. Father, we come before You this morning and how thankful we are that Your Word is so clear. And Father, may we be students of Your Word. May we May we not neglect the study, the digging, the understanding. Father, this is your love letter to us. From Genesis to Revelation, it's your revealed word of who you are and your character, your attributes. 
Father, may we desire to study that we might know you better, that we might serve you more faithfully. Now, Father, I pray this morning if there's anyone here that's never trusted Christ as their Savior, Father, may this be the moment that by faith they say, Lord, I believe you died for me. I believe that you were buried for me. I believe you rose again. By faith, I accept that truth. I believe. And Father, we know the work you do that very moment as you justify, as you sanctify, as you glorify, as you redeem, as you do all of those things to make us new creations in Christ. Father, what a plan of salvation. Thank you for including all those that call upon you in that glorious plan. Now, Father, we pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. If you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior and you want to talk about it, love to talk to you about that and show you what God's Word says that you need to do in order to be saved. There was no room in the inn. Thank goodness. Because then God's Word could be fulfilled. I mean, what kind of type would it be for Him to be born in an inn? in a hotel but oh if he was born as a lamb destined for slaughter the perfect lamb of God wow what an amazing God we serve amen, amen. let's stand and be dismissed for you and how thankful you love us Father, how thankful we are that you went to such extreme measures to redeem us to yourself, to reconnect us. Father, we come acknowledging that we were so lost and undone and never, ever able to save ourselves. Father, we come acknowledging this morning that there's absolutely no work we can do, no, de no deeds we can perform in order to satisfy your righteous requirements, but how thankful we are this morning that the spotless Lamb of God took upon himself all of our iniquity, became sin for us even though he knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Father, we thank you for that perfect, perfect plan of salvation. And we rejoice in knowing you. Now, Father, as we go our separate ways today, we pray that you'll bless us as we walk out these doors. Father, remind us that we're walking into the mission field. May we faithfully serve. And we pray all these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.